0: Hey, I'm going to attempt to help you to engage a little bit more by just walking around. That's what <laughs> speakers do. Um, now, last Tuesday um, at our community group, uh, I was standing in the kitchen at Anthony and Andrew's house and James Windham Chalmers, where are you, James? Ah, uh, James is in, he's still not in the room. Uh, they're going to go, Here he is, James. Let's give James Windham Chalmers a big round of applause. Yeah, he said to me, so Peter, like, the virgin birth, you know, I, I don't really quite understand. It doesn't really take me too much that I don't completely get it. You know, it doesn't, it's not like pivotal for my faith, but like, what does it mean? And um, so then I gave a bit of a waffly answer, which was roughly right, I think. But then it got me thinking, that's probably a good way that you can focus for today, for the for the sermon for today because every year ministers have this challenge when they're writing sermons at Christmas time. It's like, how do I get at it again from a different angle and keep people engaged? Um, so this morning sermon is specifically for you, James. And I'll be preaching to you. Everyone else can listen in. And this is a service we provide America Angleton for <laughs> the ultimate consumer experience. You can have a sermon preached just for you. No, um, you could, it's, it's actually quite relevant for us all and I, I hope that it will inspire you. And what I'm going to do is preach doctrinally, something that I don't do all the time or very often at all. What that means is that um, uh, the focus will be on a doctrine, a Christian belief that comes out of the passage. Um, you know, it, the, it's the name the point told to Mary by the angel Gabriel that even though she was a virgin in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come on her and the power of the Most High will will overshadow her, and then in 131 she will conceive and give birth to a son. So that's what we're going to do, look at the, the point of what is this virgin uh, conception, specifically, what is that about? It's, it's not so much about the, the virgin birth, the birth is, we, are, we always call it that, the birth is actually pretty normal, as far as births can go, like there's nothing, you know, I mean, in the parameters of human birth, we think it's pretty normal. But what's strange or what's miraculous is that um, it was a virgin conception. And it's important, it's actually really important for us as Christians if you think about it, you made it into the creed or the creeds. So the Apostles' Creed has, I think it's 75 Latin words and 11 or 10 of those words are about the virgin conception. That's a, that's a fair amount. It's about one-seventh of the... Whole Apostles' Creed is devoted to this one doctrine, and as we talk about this, I don't want you to be confused and think we're talking about the Immaculate Conception. Often, these two doctrines are confused. Um, the, the Virgin Conception is about Mary miraculously conceiving as a virgin the baby Jesus. The Immaculate Conception, which is something different, is a Catholic doctrine that um, Mary's parents, who apparently were Saint Joachim and Saint Anne, when they got together and uh, you know had a special night together one night and conceived Mary after sex at the point of conception, the Holy Spirit, according to the Catholic doctrine, intervened and blessed the conceived um, egg and sperm and made uh, the cells immaculate, so free from stain, so that Mary would be born sinless and then be able to. Be the bearer of um, or the mother of God. But that's not a, a doctrine we believe in. I just thought I'd clarify that because that's you often hear those two things banded around. It's not a Protestant doctrine. As far as we're concerned, Mary was a normal young woman, probably a girl of high school age, we think. Um, and she had a special role to fulfill. So let's look at the passage from Luke 1 and remind ourselves of what it says. Now, some Christians they, they can assume that are like a tabloid cynicism of this story. I've heard, you know, Christians say, oh, look, you can imagine, they probably just got pregnant, you know, before they were married and made, made up some story about, you know, um, a miracle or something, to try and cover it up. People say that, cynics will say that. But you know, I, I, I personally find that argument very lame. Like, can you imagine you, you and your girlfriend or boyfriend getting pregnant and then, just like saying to all your friends, oh, it wasn't, you know, like was God taught, an angel appeared, you know, you'd just be laughed out of town. I find that argument really lame. I mean, the ancient world weren't stupid. They knew how to make babies. Human beings have known this for a long time. They didn't know about DNA. And even Joseph is shocked, from according of the story, at what's happening. Even he needs uh, the angel to assuage his concerns. And what we have is two Gospels, both Luke and Matthew, talking about this virgin conception in quite different ways, which makes Biblical scholars believe that it actually um, was a a, a belief in the early church. It wasn't something made up later on by Christians of several centuries later to make Jesus seem more holy or more godlike. It wasn't a fantasy. So what does the Luke passage, and also the Matthew passage, not say about the virgin conception. Uh, As Ridley College lecturer Michael Bird says, it is clear that this is an IVF with God as their gynecologist and the Holy Spirit as a sperm donor. This is not what we're talking about. He doesn't say anything about Mary remaining a virgin. We know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. It doesn't say that sex is bad. So don't read that into the virgin conception. It's not like God had to keep Mary free from the sins of sex so that Jesus could be born. It's not that. It's not saying virginity is better than non-virginity. It's not saying that there's anything about women that's particularly strange, or birth that's particularly strange. There's no suggestion also that Jesus is less than human. The conception was a miracle, but everything else was pretty normal by human standards in terms of the birth. Placenta, umbilical cord, Mary's ward is broke. There would have been lots of sweat, lots of fluids, which really throws into question that, how are we just saying before Silent Night? See, I, I've experienced two births, not including my own, which I can't remember, thank goodness. Um, and I, I mean, really, it was no Silent Night or Silent Morning. It's completely the opposite. Um, and I think the Silent Night is a little bit misleading, though we're saying it's because tradition. It's a little bit misleading because it sort of elevates Mary to this kind of Divine states is that she just gave birth quietly and pure, like they're none or something. And I want to suggest that a very quick gospel explosion comes up with a new carol. Painful night. Because childbirth, especially the firstborn, so I've been told, is very painful. And so here's the line of the first verse of Mary Creek gospel explosion, new carol. Painful night, sweaty night. we have got to time the cramps. Squeeze, hands tight. Anyway, something like that. Because that would actually make us, help us to think and realise what's really going on here. This is a real woman giving birth to a real baby. What does it say? Well, it does. Both Luke and Matthew do tell us that Jesus uh, didn't have a biological male father. And this was because God gave Mary a special miraculous grace to be the mother of God's incarnate self. And this is the best we can say. And just as the Spirit hovered over uh, the chaos and breathed life into creation, creating something from nothing, so the Spirit breathed life into Mary's womb, creating something from nothing. So what's the point of it then? These are some just basic background facts from the passages. Why have the two Gospel writers included this? Is there more to it than just something exciting to start off the story? How does it make any difference to you and me? Here's four reasons. First of all, it's a sign. It's a sign. In the Bible, whenever there's a miraculous birth of some kind, it's a sign that God's about to do something amazing in terms of salvation. Uh, For example, the birth of Isaac or Samson or Samuel, even John the Baptist just recently in, in, in terms of history with Jesus. In each case, God graciously opened the wombs of these women who had been unable to have children. But a virgin birth is far greater than any kind of other type of miraculous birth that you see in the Bible. Uh, when the angel of the Lord announced to Joseph the birth of Jesus, he quoted Isaiah 7 verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1 Matthew sees the birth of Jesus as the fulfilment of Isaiah 7.14, but a parallel, but greater sign, a greater event. And when the Messiah came, the Saviour of the world, he was born not to a barren woman like um, Abraham's wife, an older barren woman, um, Sarah, who who God showed grace to and gave birth to Isaac, rather the Messiah was born to a virgin, an even even greater manifestation of God's perfect power so to Mary, the angel echoes God's promise to Abraham that no word from God will ever fail, Luke 1.37. The Christmas story is a great story to remind ourselves of each December because it's actually preparing us for Easter. We're supposed to look through the lens of the birth of Jesus and see Easter. The virgin conception is a sign pointing to a future saving act. Secondly, um, and this is where it starts to get funky. We, the Virgin Conception guards both the deity and the humanity of Christ. It's miraculous, and that sort of indicates that, at a level we've never seen before, that the child is God. But conception and birth, except in the case of Adam and Eve, is a normal part of human being, their journey. It is necessary that Jesus should be conceived and born as we are. It was necessary that he was tempted, as we are. So the virginal conception is not only God's entrance into the world, but God taking to himself a human nature by becoming the son of a woman. We had to realise that Jesus was born from the substance of his mother. He had her DNA. He experienced what we did physically. We can relate to him. Jesus didn't just beam down like Star Trek style and just turn into a human being. Rather, he came the same way the rest of us did. He had nine months in the womb. He was born, he was a child and eventually grew to become an adult. What we need to see in Jesus is something truly mind-blowing. Because the virgin conception sets up and guards Christ's divinity and his humanity. We're supposed to see one person with two natures. According to his humanity, Jesus was not all knowing. He had to learn about life. He was not present everywhere. He had to walk around and catch boats and ride donkeys. He was not all powerful. So not to think of him like Superman. In, you know, uh, in the Superman film, the original one. You know, with the two-year-old boy lifting up a car. This is not what we're to think of. But according to his divinity, Jesus, the Son of God, is all-knowing, or omniscient. He is present everywhere, or omnipresent. And he is all-powerful, or omnipotent. And there's this mysterious, mystical union, theologians say, between these two natures. Uh, They call it the hypostatic union, creating an individual essence. So the virgin conception guards these two natures. When the shepherds came to see him, they are seeing a newborn baby with burps and farts and all that. And they are seeing the Son of God who pre-existed this birth. Therefore, he's worthy of worship. Even after the birth, he continued to maintain his God nature. Now, Calvin, John Calvin makes this point, which theologians called the extra-Calvinisticum, which you can use in Scrabble which is that even after the incarnation, even after the Son of God became human flesh in the baby Jesus, the eternal Son who sucked on Mary's boob continued to fill the heavens. There's two things going on here and it's mind blowing. The virgin conception guards a mystery of mysteries. Jesus is God, Jesus is human. Don't try and... You can get into lots of traps if you start blurring it the wrong way. But we should worship him. That's the ultimate point. Thirdly, the virgin conception reveals God's grace. It shows us that when God initiates a saving act in the world, it's his initiative. So Mary is just this girl who obediently accepts what God is doing. Remember her words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Luke 1.38 Gospel, The Gospel of John, doesn't actually mention the virgin conception, perhaps was referring to it when he says about believers who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is a parallel in this sense between the God-initiated birth of Jesus and the God-initiated new birth of believers. This is how God takes the initiative of Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, enabling her, as the Spirit always does, to do and be more than she could by herself. And at the same time, the power of the Most High will overshadow her. This is something different. God himself, the Creator, will surround her completely with his sovereign power. Just like the way God settled On the tabernacle in Moses' day, that's what God is doing on Mary, the power of the Most High. And this shouldn't sound all that strange if we remember that God is the one who creates us in his image. We're not talking about some pagan God interfering with human beings. We're talking about an intimacy here. St. Augustine reminds us that God made us for himself. And when he takes the initiative, it's always an act of love. Love which will care for us and take us into his saving purposes. Theologian N.T. Wright says, Mary is, to that extent, the supreme example of what always happens when God is at work by grace through human beings. God's power from outside and the indwelling spirit within together result in things being done which would have been unthinkable any other way. Just to continue this idea of the virgin conception pointing to God's grace, hear the great thought. Something funky you might not have thought of. And that is that Mary is the antitype to Eve. The early church father, Arrhenius, contrasted two virgins to demonstrate the role of Mary in God's saving plan. This is what Arrhenius said. For just as the former woman, which is Eve, was led astray by the word of an angel, which is the the serpent, so that she fled from God when she had transgressed his word. So did the latter, which is Mary, by an angelic communication, receive the glad tidings that she should sustain God being obedient to his word. And if the former Eve did disobey God, yet the latter Mary was persuaded to be obedient to God, in order that the Virgin Mary might become the patroness of the Virgin Eve. And thus, as the human race fell into bondage to death by means of a virgin, so is it rescued by a virgin, virginal disobedience having been balanced in the opposite scale by virginal obedience. Very cool. So Mary, and specifically God's free gift of conception to her, to push forward salvation for humanity, symbolizes humanity receiving the grace of God in faith, in contrast to the old humanity, symbolised by Eve, who rejected it. And, I'll quote Michael Bird again, because he's got lots to say about this. Let us not forget that it is through Mary, as the human receptacle for the Incarnation, that God is able to rescue the sons of Adam and Eve. Without Mary as the new Eve, we could not have Jesus as a new Adam. So when you hear the Christmas story read year after year and you get to the bit about the Virgin Conception or you're reading the the, uh, Acts of the Apostles' Creed and you get to those uh, ten words about Virgin Conception, wonder in awe at the greatness of God to pour out his grace on Mary and on us. And here's the fourth and the last thing that it points us to, the Virgin Conception. It reveals that God's new creation has begun. Again, N.T. Wright preached this in a sermon, he said, the virginal conception speaks powerfully of new creation, something fresh happening within the old world, beyond the reach and dreams of the possibilities we currently know. And if we believe that the God we're talking about is the creator of the world, who longs to rescue the world from its corruption and decay, then an act of real new creation anticipating, in fact, the great moment of Easter itself might just be what we should expect however tremblingly, if and when this God decides to act to bring this new creation about. See, when husbands and wives procreate, in a way, this is human, human beings laughing in the face of death and trying to continue life eternally. We try and do that at least. But when the Virgin Mary conceived, there was no need for that manoeuvre, because in her child was life and the life was the life of all people. See, you can object to the virginal conception for all kinds of reasons on scientific grounds, but this is not your real objection. Your real objection, I think, is probably that a new world is starting up inside this old world, a new paradigm. You are really objecting to having to choose between this new life and the old life. So the virgin conception, there you go, there's four things you may not have thought about. It's a sign pointing to a great act of salvation that God's about to do. It guards and protects Jesus' divinity and humanity and points to that. It's a revelation of God's grace to take the initiative. And it's also a sign that the new creation has begun. If you believe in Jesus, and this will ring true to you, if you are not convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, then you won't be persuaded that there ever was a virgin conception, obviously. And I, I don't want you to hear me sounding like I'm exaggerating the importance of the virgin conception. It is important, made it into our creed. But Paul the apostle never mentions it. For him, Jesus' life, death and resurrection and ascension are more important. Um, But if you do have faith in Jesus as the crucified and risen Son of God, and your heart and mind is open to this, then the virgin conception, while being a little unexpected, It rings true, doesn't it? This is the God who breathed over chaos and created the heavens and the earth. Which is the God who overshadowed Mary and caused her to conceive. Which is the God who changes you, joins you to Jesus, and makes you his child. Which is the God who by his grace is making a new heavens and a new earth. So there you go, James. Let's answer your question. (laughs) Let's pray Created God, breath of all life, through whom all things are created and sustained. All sons and daughters, flocks and herds, all birds of the air and fish of the sea, you walk this earth as child and creator, you touch the soil, quench your thirst, embrace this world, brought life and light, love and laughter into dark and death-filled lives. Created God, breath of all life, through whom all things are created and sustained. We bring to you our sacrifice of a contrite and willing heart. Amen.